You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Turn over with me this morning over to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to continue talking about enduring hope. Um, Colossians chapter 1. This is, these are actually the verses that got me started on this, whatever, four or five months ago. Uh, I want to talk to you today about, and we've, we've, we've hit this a little bit in the last few weeks. There's this group of components that work together in our lives. Remember, we've talked about hope. It's, it's a confident expectation of promise fulfilled. It's happy anticipation of of that connects right into God and into his promises and into his word and all that Jesus has done for us. It's a a vision of those things coming to pass that engages our hearts. Uh, So we've talked about hope. We've talked a little bit about faith. We're going to talk about some more of that today. Um, Love, you know, it's interesting that uh, the scripture says that when all of this is wrapped up and this time we're with with the church age and, and the moving of the gifts of the Spirit and all of that that we experience during this time, when all of that is wrapped up, the scripture says there are three things that will remain and they are faith, hope, and love, those three together. And and so we've looked at those things. We've looked at perseverance and how it works with faith. You know, we've touched on all of these things. And to me, it's it's like a it's like a package of tools. It's like a, a group of components of our spiritual life that are that interact together. And we oftentimes pick them apart, you know, and we'll teach on hope, which we're doing right now, teach on perseverance, we'll teach on faith, we'll teach on love, we'll teach on all these various things. We'll teach on generosity and all that's great. We pull them apart for teaching purposes. But in reality and in our daily walk with God, all these things are interconnected. And they they work with one another, they stimulate one another, they have a role with one another. And so we've been trying to bring some of that out. And uh, so we're going to do some more of that today. And here in Colossians chapter 1, wow, we don't have much time either. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to begin with verse 3. And this is from the NIV. We're going to look at a couple of things here because the the NIV kind of uh, is a, a little bit different in this one area. But at any rate, it says, we always thank the God. So Paul's, talk, Paul's writing to this church that he's never been to. He has never been to the church at Colossae. And he is writing to this group of people. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the hope that you have for, uh, I'm sorry, the love that you have for all the saints. So here he is, he's, he's never been to this church, but these people are walking in such a dynamic faith and love that, that a report has come all the way to Paul and his team about these people. People are going out, people that have been there and ministered at this, to this body of believers is coming back to Paul and they have this notable faith. They're saying they're, they have extreme faith and love working in this 
body. And when it says the love that you have for all the saints, that word for, it's a little tiny Greek word that means this is something that is in motion toward somebody. So he's saying you you have this tremendous notable faith and you have a love that is actually, it's, it's obvious, it's demonstrated, it's outward, we can see it, it's, it's in action toward other people. So this, this faith and this love, again, is, it's so notable, so obvious to people, people that visit, people that spend some time there can see it, and they can see it in action. And, and of course, this word love is the Greek word agape. And, you know, most of you guys know this stuff, but I mean, the Greek language has a bunch of words that we just translate as love. It has one for friendship. It has one for family. It has one for sexual love. It has one for the God kind of love, which is agape. It, it has one for partnership. It has all these different words in Greek. They use a different word for those different kinds of love because they're a little different. But we just say love. This word is the Greek word agape. So these people had faith evident in their life and they had agape evident in their life. So agape is the God kind of love. When the scripture says God is love, not just has love, but is love, it's using the word agape. It's an unconditional love. It is a love that it, it, the characteristic of it is that it is not a response to something beautiful or lovable or something like that in another person. They do a nice thing for me. They're always good to me. So I respond with love. That's not agape. Agape flows out of the lover because the lover has so much value for that person, for this other person, whether that person deserves it or not whether that person ever receives it or rejects it, whether that person treats them back well or not. It is a giving love. It is a generous love. It is, a, it is almost a choice to love, but it flows from the heart of God. So whether we deserve his love or not, he loves us anyway. Whether we respond to his love or not, he loves us anyway. He loves everybody. Not everybody becomes a part of his family because that's our choice. But God, agape love, loves everybody. It is not a human, natural kind of love. Without God in us, we just don't love like that. We're just not really capable of it. But when we come to know Jesus Christ and we are walking in him, then he loves through us. When Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and there are nine um, characteristics spoken of there. The first one is love. The first one is agape. And really the ways most Bible scholars look at that is the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the Spirit births out of us, it's agape, period. And here are eight other ways, eight other things that agape looks like. It looks, it, it looks like patience. It looks like mercy. It looks like long-suffering. It looks like all these different things. It looks like faithfulness. It comes out in all those ways, but it is agape. It is, it is a specific love that flows from the heart of God to us and through us. And so in these verses, they're, they're looking at these people and they're saying, you know, we, oh, we just thank God for you because we've heard about this faith and this love that you have toward moving out toward all the brothers and sisters, all the, all the believers, okay? And, the, and it goes on and it says, the faith and love that spring from hope. 
the faith and love that spring from hope. And the, this is one place I, I will differ a little bit with the NIV, and many of your translations don't read this way. But the NIV says, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. That makes it sound like the hope is being stored up in heaven. And that's not exactly accurate. What this is saying is um, that this faith and this love have sprung up from the, the hope that you have toward or for what is stored up for you in heaven. It is talking about our inheritance in Christ. It is talking about everything that Jesus died to give us and our awareness of that and this hope that is rising in us. Again, it is the anticipation, this confident, joyful anticipation of experiencing everything that Jesus has provided for us. Hope engages with that. And when hope engages, when when we have eternal hope working in our hearts, one of the things that happens is we're connecting, we're seeing, we're hearing. It says here, this hope came from hearing the gospel. The gospel is the good news. It's not just the salvation message. Actually, it is just the salvation message. But what we call just the salvation message is if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you can go to heaven and spend eternity with God. That's this much. It's an important piece, don't get me wrong. But it's this much of the salvation message. The salvation message includes everything that Jesus has provided. He's provided freedom and deliverance from the domination of sin, absolutely. But he's also provided purpose. He's provided healing. He's provided prosperity. He's provided um, you know, fulfillment and victory over the devil. And all kinds of things are wrapped up in the victory of Jesus Christ. And they are all held and reserved. They are kept in safety. It doesn't mean they're kept away from us, but they are kept in safety in Jesus Christ. They aren't laying out somewhere where somebody can take them away from you. Our hope is that it's that anticipation of experiencing all of those things. It begins to put this pull on what the gospel declares to us. It comes to us. Hope is Hope originates in us as the word of God comes and we hear about what Jesus has done and what is promised to us that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. That inspires hope. And hope begins to anticipate. Hope begins to look into all that treasure, all of that inheritance that we have. And as we live in that hope. One of the things that the Spirit of God begins to do is he starts painting. It's like your heart is like a canvas that someone would paint on. He begins to paint an image in your heart of the reality of what is laid up for you in Christ. And it's, you know, when I watch Karen paint, actually, I just check in once in a while. I don't stand and it takes a long time to do a painting. But, you know, you start with this white piece of paper and she does watercolor. So you lay one layer on top of another. And, and so over time, the detail and the colors and everything come in. And she can be, what, 75, 80, 90% done. And there's still stuff. So in fact, she'll get to the point where looks done to me. It's not done. She'll have it hung on the wall and take it back down and do a bunch of little stuff. But the point is, 
over that period of time, detail comes in. The same thing happens when we spend time with God and in his word, and we look into the promises of God. We look into what he has said. We look into all that treasure that the Bible calls our inheritance in Christ. And, and hope is engaging with that. And the Lord paints this image on our heart. We begin to see ourselves actually experiencing what he has promised, actually living in it, it motivating our lives, it changing the direction of our lives, it becoming this incredible um, provision for us to give away to other people. It's why we can go beyond the natural. It's why we can give so generously because we can see that God is our provider. And even though I can't see in my hands what I need to give, I can give what is in my hands and know that even more provision will come, right? It, and, and that is all a part of what hope does. Hope looks and sees, and this scripture tells us, and I just found this, this is what caught me at the beginning of this whole teaching, was this phrase, that this faith and love that spring from hope. And that, and that phrase spring from mean exactly that. It's like we would look at a garden that we had planted and in, in the springtime, you know, flowers or whatever you'd planted in there would begin to spring up. You know, it would just begin to come up. And, and that's what this says. So, so it's saying that faith actually grows up, springs up in this environment of hope. I believe that's because, because let me attach a couple things here, because Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing the rhema, the spoken word of God, what God is breathing into your heart, what the Spirit's breathing into your heart, the scriptures that the Lord is jump, you know, bringing off the page to you, what, whatever that is that's going on in your heart, there's faith that is released in our hearts in that moment. That's where faith comes from. And, and that, that verse, when it says hearing the word of God, it's in that present, continual sense in the Greek. It is hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and continually hearing. You are, it's a picture of being in a continual conversation with God and hearing what he is saying, sensing, knowing what the Lord is imparting to you. That's where faith comes from. That's what Romans ten seventeen says. Uh, Hebrews 11, um, 1 <laughs> says that um, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So I have always taught, and I still believe this, that, that when we hope, then faith is that solid part. I've always taught that hope's like a f- concrete form, and faith is the concrete that's poured into it. It gives it substance. It's no longer just shape. It's no longer just direction. All of a sudden, substance comes in. The Amplified says, faith is the title deed to the things we hope for. So we see hope preceding faith. And then I've always seen just faith coming in and filling that hope with strength and power and the ability to take possession. Is this making sense to you? So that's true. But this verse... This is the thing. Faith and hope have this sort of symbiotic relationship. Faith springs up in the environment where there's hope. It's probably, when I think about it, it's super difficult 
for us to live in hope or to have, I'm sorry, to have faith if we're not living in hope because faith grows up out of that environment, then in turn, it fills that environment with a, with a strength that hope doesn't have. Hope is always anticipating. Faith says it's mine now, even though I can't see it yet. It's mine today, right now. It is mine. I don't see it, but I know it's mine. That's faith talking, okay? And faith speaks that way. Bible tells us that God is the God who calls those things that are not yet, that can't be seen yet, as though they already were. That's faith talking. That's the way that God talks. The, the, uh, here in Colossians chapter 1, the Passion Translation says it this way, your faith and love rise within you as you access all the treasures of your inheritance that are stored up for you in the heavenly realm. So these people were living in this tremendous measure of intimacy with God. Why do I say that? Because faith comes by living in conversation with God. And they had such tremendous faith going on that people could see it and know it and touch it. Okay, It was a report that was going around the world about this church. So they're living in this intimacy with God. And as they lived in this intimacy with God, this faith and agape love were coming to pass, were being produced in their life. James tells us that faith, living faith, I have the verse here and I should probably read it to you. James 2.17 says, faith, and I think this is a very misunderstood scripture, faith, if it does not have works or corresponding actions to back it up, is by itself dead. It's inoperative and ineffective and fruitless. What he was talking about here was that you can say you have faith, you can claim you have faith, but real, genuine, or living faith will always produce something. In, these, in the church of, of, at Colossae, what was happening was faith was springing up out of this hope they had while as they engaged in, in all of this truth of the gospel about what Jesus had done for them, hope was there, faith is rising up, and it's producing a supernatural love. They're loving people that are probably persecuting them. They're loving people from God's kind of love. That is the corresponding action to their faith at that time. And it was real. It was visible. You know, we cannot produce faith by doing good works. But faith that is alive will produce, and we, we call it corresponding actions. Depending on what your faith is, is flowing from out of, out of God's promises, actions will come. You cannot stand still in faith. It's a motivator. If you read through Hebrews chapter 11 in the Amplified Bible, it says that over and over. It talks about the old heroes of faith. They were motivated by faith. They were moved by faith. They were spurred on by faith. Faith always produces an action if it's alive. And that's what James is saying. He's, he's saying, you know, faith is not just measured by what we say. It is measured by what we do. It's, it's not produced by what we do other than engage with God. Is this making sense? But it is, there is an evidence. There's something that uh, should come out of that. And I want you to notice too that with the, with the Colossians, their faith was 
toward God. It was in God. It was in Jesus Christ. It was looking into that inheritance. It wasn't toward something that would be produced by faith. In other words, our faith needs to remain. Faith has to be focused. And hope actually gives faith a direction and focus. It, it, it causes it to look into God. Eternal hope is looking right into the provision that Jesus bought for us at the cross. It is looking right into who God is. And faith follows that same channel. It follows, it goes directly to God. And as we have faith toward God, various things are produced or come into our life. They weren't standing there saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to be able to love people. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm, I'm, we pray that way sometimes, and that's fine. I'm making kind of a teaching point here. But the point is, what we need to do is have faith toward God. We've got to have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for us and our position in him and all that. It's got to be faith toward God. Out of that faith toward God, God will raise up. He will produce a variety of things in our life and add a variety of things to our lives. So that's what they were doing. They had their faith toward God they were, they were engaged in the word of God about everything, this whole incredible uh, inheritance that they had. And, they, and from that, they were able to live in a supernatural love. You know, it, it just struck me today as we were singing, I mean, obviously, and I, I hadn't even looked at the song list, but, you know, obviously, as... As Karen had prayed over all of that and gotten the songs for this week, it's all about the love of God. It's about the love of God for us. And then that last song about the love of God being seen in us. The only way that's going to happen is if we allow these, we plug in to these pieces, these, I don't even know what to call it, these characteristics, these, you know, that we have living hope in our lives and faith spring up out of that and faith toward God, filling that with strength, Love will be one of the results. There's no question about it. Love for people. Love beyond what you and I can do on our own. And we all know it. I mean, you know, I'm sure some of you just naturally are much more loving people than I am. But it, one way I always know when God's at work in my heart is when I can love somebody no matter what they might have done or said about us or whatever, I can't get away. <laughs> and I try at times. I can't get away from the sense of love for them and basic care about their life and their eternity and all of that. That's God. That isn't me. And I know it good and well. But it to me, it's a miraculous thing that happens in my heart. And I can... Forgive people who haven't asked for, you know, they're still doing whatever they're doing, but I can let them go. And it's, it's because of God at work. And the only place that happens is when we're living in this genuine kind of, you know, hope and faith synergism that takes place. Is this making sense to you? I hope so. Um, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 6. Actually, 
Well, yeah, we can stop there for a second. Uh, I think we need to get on over to Romans, but um, let's look at verse 19 in Hebrews chapter 6. It's another aspect of this kind of hope. It it says, now I'm going to go back and read verse 18. This passage is talking about Abraham, and it's talking about the fact that God made a promise to Abraham and actually swore an oath by himself, because there's nothing bigger than himself to swear by. So he swears an oath. He doesn't just say, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants. He, he actually swears it, which is, is pretty unusual. And Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 Uh, In talking about that, it says, He, God, did this so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope that is set before us. So the scripture is saying, Staying in God's word, staying in what God has promised, staying fixed, keeping our minds fixed on that, not getting driven off of that by everything that happens in life and what people say and all that garbage, staying fixed on him. In that place, he gives us strong encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope that is set before us. There's this hope that's available to us and apparently, we need to hold on to it. And we all know that. We all know that we can allow circumstance, we can allow people's words, we can allow discouragement, we can allow all kinds of things to come in and break down our hope, but we don't have to. And the key to it is staying focused on the promises of God and what he has said. And again, what he is saying day to day in your life. You've got to be in the word. You've got to be in the word. I don't care how busy life is. I don't care. None of this is more important than what God has to do and say in your life. None of it. I don't care. I don't care if you need more sleep. I don't care. You've got to stay in the word. Okay? And so verse 19, Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, This hope, this confident assurance, we have as an anchor for the soul. An anchor for the soul. Hope acts as an anchor for our mind, our emotions, and our will. Hope stays connected and in anticipation of what God is doing and going to do, it stays on that focus and that acts as an anchor to the soul so that our soul doesn't drift off somewhere or get driven off somewhere. It's anchored to God. It says, we have, we have this hope as an anchor of the soul. It cannot slip. It cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. There's pressure that bears upon all of our hope. This hope, this supernatural hope, this eternal hope, does not break down or slip under whatever pressure bears upon it. It's a safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, that most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells. And then it goes on, verse 20, to say Jesus has gone there as our forerunner. It's, you know, this is language about the the Jewish temple or the Jewish tabernacle where the presence of God dwelled 
in the most holy place, in one chamber of that temple. And only the high priest once a year could even go in there. The people couldn't go in there. There were various uh, rooms and stages that people could come to. The priests could go a little farther than the people and only the high priest could go in. It's talking about all of that, but what it's saying is this hope that we have enters right into the presence of God. It takes hold, it connects with, it It keeps our focus on, it anticipates from the very presence of God where our high priest, Jesus Christ, has gone ahead of us. The idea is that when our hope is this eternal living kind of hope, all right, it's not just based on good circumstances or any of that. We've talked through all of that. This kind of hope is an anchor for my soul, for my mind, the thoughts that come and go, the pressures that come and go, the questions that arise, the, the stuff. I have an anchor in hope for my mind, for my emotions that can fluctuate so much. There's an anchor for them. Doesn't mean it'll stop them from fluctuating. You know, a boat at anchor will swing a little bit with the wind, but it doesn't go anywhere as long as the anchor holds, this anchor holds. All right, so even when, you know, we can know this, our emotions swing. We feel like this, we feel like that, we don't feel like this, we, you know, things, but if we keep our focus on Jesus and on keep feeding on his word, we have this anchor and we won't move. We'll feel these swings, we'll feel these breezes, but we won't move. Our mind, our emotions, our will. I just want to go off and do this, but you don't if you stay anchored to the presence of God. And you can't. This hope is available to us. This hope is ours. Let's, uh, you know, and it's, it's time in God's presence. It is really time in God's presence that keeps all of this focused and keeps all of this alive. Time in his word, time in his presence. You don't have to spend six hours a day. Honestly, you don't even have to spend an hour a day. It's wonderful if you can, and we always talk about that. But if you, it's a heart, it's a heart issue. It is a heart issue. And even on the days where something enters in, the, you know, the kids get up, they're sick, or, or the boss calls early, or some, something happens, it's a heart issue. Is God first in that day? That's a different thing than just choosing to blow off time with God. I know nobody in this room would ever do that. But, you know, there's people probably out there in the camera, you know, <laughs> that, that might do it. It's, it's, that's a different thing than just saying, I just want to do other stuff. I just don't feel like it. That's a bad place to go. And you're going to get eaten up by your mind, your emotions, and your will when we have this anchor available to us. Let's look at one more passage and... Try and wrap this up. I want to go over to Romans chapter 4. This is very familiar. I know we go here pretty often because these verses, because uh, I get to do this and these verses feed me like crazy. <laughs> so we go here pretty often. Um, Romans chapter 4. Again, this is talking about Abraham and his faith and the fact that God made this promise to him uh, in fact, in verse 17, we're, gonna, we're officially starting in verse 18, but in verse 17 it says, 
As it is written, I, God, have made you, Abraham, the father of many nations. He, Abraham, was appointed our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. I love that part of that verse because it says, whatever God has said, whatever is true in God's sight about you, if he has said, you are my child, you belong to me, then that's the way it is. In the sight of God, who you have believed, you are his child. In the sight of God, whom you have believed, you are forgiven. You are delivered from sin. You are delivered from addiction. Whatever it is that God has said, that is what is true in his sight. And if it's true in his sight, it's what it is. For Abraham, he was appointed. He was declared. God declared him the father of many nations when it was absolutely physically impossible for him to produce children or his wife to produce children. They're 75 years old. There's nothing going on there. They are not going to have kids. I was thinking about this again the other day, just thinking about she has this baby at almost 100 years old. You know, it kind of finally dawned on me, just the physical body. I mean, it's a miracle. I always think about the miracle that the baby was conceived and everything, but can you imagine carrying it and delivering it? It's hard enough at 25. Yeah, waking up in the middle of the night, the whole thing. It's, yeah. Whoops. That miracle went on way beyond just having that baby. Gosh. Anyway, uh, I love these verses. Did I mention that? I heard somebody's thing beep. It is not 11 o'clock. It is only 10.56. So, back to verse 17. Who God, he, whom he believed who gives life to the dead and speaks of the non-existent things that he has foretold and promised as if they already existed. That's faith talking. Verse 18, for Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations. No reason to hope in the natural. We've all been there. No reason to hope in the natural. The doctor says it's impossible. The, the financial advisor says it's impossible. You know, the bank says it's impossible. The whatever, you know, your friends at, friends at work say it's impossible. It's not impossible. But, but for him, all that human reason, there was no reason for hope in his body. There was no reason for hope in it. looking at his wife. There was none of that. He hoped in faith. Again, hope and faith just working together to bring this about. Verse 19, I love this. He did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body. And that's exactly what it means, the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's dead and womb. Now, I know the King James Version there says he considered not. It makes it sound like he didn't look at it. He pretended none of that existed. That's not the way it reads in the Greek. It reads like this, that he didn't weaken in faith when he did consider what was going on in the natural. Faith isn't there to just deny the natural. It's there to grab hold of a higher reality. It's there to grab hold of what God says is possible that supersedes the natural. He looked at his body. He looked at her body. And he said, 
there is no hope here. There is no way that this can work but God, but God. And so he didn't, I love this because there was a period of time here. The promise came 25, 25 years ago. The promise came before this child actually came about. For 25 years, he didn't weaken in faith when day after day after day after day, the bodies didn't change. I doubt they got better. I don't think they you know, started growing down to 30. You know, I mean, things didn't look better on the outside. And yet, Abraham didn't weaken in faith. And here's how. It goes on in verse 20. No unbelief or distrust made him waver. And that means just what it sounds like, to go back and forth. It actually means to look at two different possibilities and to judge them like they're equal. And to to look at these two different things and to waver between them in trying to discern which one is truth and which one is not. Says he didn't do that. He stuck with what God had said, period. And that's how he didn't weaken in his faith. No unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubtingly questioned concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. That is a practical statement right there. You want to, you want to grow in faith? You want to be you want to, in, the, in the midst of a hopeless situation? Give praise and glory to God. It's exactly what Karen opened the service with. We have this opportunity when things look terrible to give praise and glory to God. It will stir you up. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in other tongues. The Bible says it will build you up. It will charge you up like a battery. Pray in the Spirit. Worship God. Thank Him for the things He's already done. Thank Him for the things we see in the Scripture. Thank Him for the things He's done in your life. Thank Him for the things He's done in your friend's life. Thank Him for the things He will do. But praise and give glory to God. And that's how it says that He beat this, he, he stayed out of this whole wavering thing back and forth. People have, I mean, I see it all the time. People hear something from God and they start to incubate that. And maybe they have some friends that really agree with them and pray with them and send them verses and speak into that. And so they've got that going. And then they go talk to other people that say, oh, brother, sister, that's really dangerous to think like that. You know, God just doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. He did that back in Bible times. He doesn't do it. They'll start tearing him down. Or or just the, oh, you believe in God? What kind of idiot are you? And I'm thinking, you don't believe in God? What kind of idiot are you? I don't say that out loud, but but it's like, how can you look around and not at least, at least, you might not know Jesus, but how can you not believe in God when you look around? Anyway, you know, so they'll start to have this other conversation. And they start to waver and they never go past that. We can, we just need to just in those places, shut off some of those voices. Oh, that's rude. That's no, it's not. It's just smart. Shut off some of those voices from your life. Guard your heart. Don't let that stuff get planted in you. If somebody insists on doing that, don't talk to them right now. Seriously. Don't, if you can't, you should be able to just, um, not place value on those kinds of words. You should be able to just simply love the person, but not place value on what they think because they aren't walking with God. So, you know, I love you, but I'm not going to take what you say into my life. 
You should be able to do that. But if you can't yet, if you're not at that place, then you need to separate from that relationship for a while and quit listening to that stuff. Quit reading that stuff. Quit listening to that. I don't care if it's a preacher. I don't care if it's a famous preacher. I don't care if it's somebody that has just the most wonderful, charismatic, good-looking person on TV. If they're feeding you a bunch of unbelief, why are you listening to it? Stop it. Feed on God. Feed on his word. Incubate his word. Don't waver back and forth. And that's how Abraham did it for 25 years. And that baby was born. And from his lineage came Jesus Christ. And all of us are sitting here today because that guy stood in faith for 25 years and gave glory and praise to God. Go ahead and stand up. Please. Let's just pray over this. Thank you, Lord. Stand up. (laughs) Oh boy. Thank you, Father. We love you so much, Lord. And, And Father, I know all the people here, they could be somewhere else. So God, I believe with all my heart, Lord, every one of us, we want to grow in all of this. We want to grow in hope. We want to be people of hope. We want to be people that not to be seen, not so that we'd be seen, but so that you'd be seen. We want our faith and love and hope to all be so evident. Just, just We might not even notice it, but it's obvious to other people there's something going on in our lives, something different, Lord, because of you. And Father, that's where all of us want to live. And Lord, we're all in different places. And you're such a good coach and such a good counselor and discipler. You know where all of us are. You know where all of our hearts are. You know all of that, Lord. And you are so good to nurture us along. So Lord, I just invite you and anybody that would agree, Lord, to to work in my heart, continue to work in my heart, work in my life, work in my thoughts, Lord, and, and bring me to that place where I recognize enemies to your purposes in my life, Lord, and I'm able to cut them out. Bring us all to that place where we are walking by faith and living in hope and displaying your nature and character to a greater and greater and greater degree. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the power that's in your word. We thank you for the life that you have given us. Thank you for the assignment you've given us to go out into this week and to be the church of Jesus Christ, to bring light into a dark world. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities you present. Help us not to miss them. Lord, we thank you for all of that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. We're going to be dismissed on the count of trace. And uh, you guys can go out there and be the church, okay? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.